Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A typical introduction, a greeting from Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. With a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to, the, to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. It's deep, folks. You ready? We're gonna we're in a pool. And we're not gonna walk into the three foot, we're gonna walk around and go dive into 12 feet of water. How's that? I don't have a short. We're gonna preach the word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God. I praise you that you predestined us. I praise you that you chose us. That's what you tell us. I, I, I can't dance around it. I can't explain it away. I must proclaim it because i got to be faithful to you in your word. Besides, dear God, it's a glorious attribute of who you are. Father, these truths we need to embrace. These truths are meant to result in worship of you. They're meant to humble us. These truths leave no room for boasting whatsoever. They produce the very beautiful quality of humility in your children towards our Heavenly Father. And so God, I thank you. I'm blown away that you would choose me. I'm blown away that you would think about me before the foundation of the world. That you intended to save me. God is very humble. God, I pray that we would walk out of this room this morning just praising you adoring you, worshiping you, and in awe of you. Thank you for these truths, Lord God. Help me, give me the grace to explain them accurately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's start with Paul's reading in verses verse 1 and 2. Okay, verse 1 and 2. I just want to make a few observations in these two verses. Number one, I'm not, I'm not going to preach about the obvious, Paul is an apostle, what I would point this out is he says, according to the will of God. I want you to know that the will of God is the focal point in these verses, not just one and two, but through verse 14, okay? Notice, by the will of God, notice again in verse five, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, okay? The church, not only is Paul an apostle by the will of God, the church exists by the Say it. Will of God. Not our will. His will. Look at verse 11. Also we have obtained all an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. 
Verse 1, verse 5, verse 11, his will. Notice, I want you to notice this. Here's what's going on. Paul, before he talks about the body of Christ, okay, in beginning in chapter 2, verse 13, 14, and following, here's what he does. He says, before I talk about you being in the body of Christ, I want to back up and talk about you being in Christ. Before we talk about being in the body of Christ, I want to talk about you being in Christ. That's why over and over again, you're going to find in these verses the phrase, in him, in him, in him. You know what he does here? You know those big, a big rope? He's got the strands going back and forth to make it strong. You can't talk about being in Christ without talking about being in his body. Oh, but we live in a day and age where we tend to separate the two, don't we? Nowhere in the New Testament does an apostle fathom the possibility of being in Christ but not in his body, i.e. the church. But what Paul does, he backs up. He backs way up. And he talks about, first, before we get to what I want to get to, the church, I want to back up and talk about being in him, being in Christ. But Paul begins by saying, here's my authority. By the will of God, I'm the sent one. Christ sent me, an apostle sent one of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And here's who I'm writing to, to the saints. This is not to unbelievers, this is to the church. This is to those who have been born again, those who have been adopted, the children of God. These are special truths just for them. And for whoever would believe. Amen? Okay? I like the word saints there. I love the word saints. I mean, those who are called out to be separate. God calls them out of the world, but he calls them to himself. He doesn't just call you out of the world. Don't stop there. He calls you out of the world for the purpose of calling you to himself, unto himself, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, to faithful saints. I love that word, saint means consecrated. In the next 12 verses, you know, you know what Paul does after this reading? He begins to explain just how blessed the saints are. That's all he does in verses 3 through 14. Here you are, saints. You have been set apart, consecrated unto God, taken out of the world, so to speak. And, and now you're brought to him. You are now for his use. And I want you to know, Paul says, this is how blessed you are. And this launches us into verse 3. And in verses 4 through 12, it's actually 4 through 14, I just have three points, and I want to get to the first two this morning. In other words, how blessed are we? Blessed beyond measure. We're so blessed that we've been chosen by God, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by His Spirit. That should just make your knees weak in prayer and in thanksgiving, so to speak. Well, let's look at verse 3 real quick. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. That's not typical. That's not typical. What I mean by that is that it's in the nominative sense. When, when Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father, he's thinking of it as a characteristic of God. It's the word we also get eulogy from. And a eulogy, what do you do? Someone passes away. You, 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 people get up and say how wonderful they are, right? How, how blessed they are or, or how, how successful they were in parenting or in business or in this or that. 
So in, in essence, what Paul's doing, he's, it's almost like a declaration. God's blessed. He's the blessed one. He is the one worthy of blessing. And, and the Greek points this out to us. It's not like, oh, God be blessed. It's more of a description of him. And it really rolls us into the next part of verse 3. It makes sense now because it's who has blessed us. God, who is identified and declared and described as being blessed. In other words, the nature of God is that he's blessed. He's successful in everything. And therefore, to be honored at all times. That's how Paul's starting this out. But it rolls into the second part of verse 3. Because God is blessed, because that's his nature, he is the one that blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Think about that for a moment. He whose very nature it is to be blessed has blessed us with some of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Does the text say that? No. It didn't say some. Every. Every. And that's why I tell this, we are blessed beyond measure. So from verse 3 flows 4 through 14, and Paul, <coughs> excuse me, describing to us just how blessed we are. But notice a couple other observations from verse 3 if you look at your Bibles. With every spiritual blessing. I think what Paul has in mind is not the, not the material blessings, but the immaterial. Now, even material blessings comes from God because we know that James 1.17. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father above. Right? But here, because of the context, Paul has in mind the spiritual blessings, the immaterial. Like, for instance... You've been predetermined in salvation. Like, for instance, God chose you. Like, for instance, redemption in verse 7. Forgiveness in verse 7. The inheritance he describes in verse 11. And that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. I think one of the problems in our spiritual lives is we after a while begin to take these blessings for granted. They kind of lose their flavor after a while. We get complacent with them. But notice he says spiritual blessings in the, where are they located? This is location, by the way, heavenly places. Heavenly places. The ultimate blessing is Christ himself. But it's in Christ that all these blessings flow. That's why you have this phrase, in Christ, at least six times in this passage. In Christ, in Christ we have an inheritance. In Christ we have redemption. In Christ we have forgiveness. It's in Christ, according to verse 13, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Without Christ, we have none of these things. Without Christ, we have zero. No spiritual blessings. That's what Paul, how he begins his letter. Blessed be God. That's his nature. He is blessed. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in, I like that, in Christ, in reference to Christ. So all these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies are in reference to Christ. So without Christ, you have no spiritual blessings. So it's all about how blessed we are in Christ. And this is where Paul begins. This is how the church is born. This is how the church takes form. This is where the church gets its DNA, our character. Let me, let me stop there for a minute because I know this morning, probably the next couple of Sundays, there's going to be a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology. And there's this misnomer out there that, okay, it's just doctrine theology, whoopee, so what, you know, it's not very practical. I want to deal with that for a minute up front. 
Are you with me? Okay. That's wrong. The devil would like us to think that doctrine has no place where that is born, or that, oh, no, theology has no use whatsoever. To the contrary. <laughs> to the contrary. We need to understand something. We need to understand that everything is rooted in the character of God. Therefore, everything is rooted in theology. Theology simply means the study of God, the biblical study of God. We find out who God is with his word, and we learn theology from his word. So, so we got to understand that everything is rooted in theology because everything is rooted in the character of God. The church is rooted in the character of God. Our salvation is rooted in the character of God, right? Right? He saves us for his glory. He saves us to reveal his character and who he is. Keep this in mind. There's a quote from John Piper. Some of you have heard him. God does not save us to make much of us, but God saves us so that we make much of him. In salvation, God reveals his character to us. God was sovereign at the fall, man. Genesis chapter 3. You might ask, why, God, would you allow that to happen? Why all this evil? A, a good God, a loving God would not allow evil. But just think about it for a minute. In God's eternal plan, in God's eternal purpose, he had purpose for his creatures to understand all of who he is. Without, so, for example, without the fall, we would have no concept of forgiveness. Without sin in the world, we would have no concept of compassion. Or mercy. Without the fall, we would have no concept of judgment. These are all things to describe who God is. What we do in Christian circles today is we 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 we, we, we where our flesh is tends to create an idol in our minds of who God is. So we limit God to just being love and compassion, and not a God of justice and judgment. Are, are you with me? So when you come to Christ, when you come to the cross, what do you see? You see the wrath of God poured out His Son, but you also see the love of God there on the cross, don't you? It's a comprehensive view of who God is. It's a public display of all of His characteristics operating all at the same time to the nth eternal degree. So when you think of the, the, the triune God being holy, 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 the reason he is holy, holy, holy is the sum of all of his attributes working together all the time, primarily, and in his greatest, most infinite, most beautiful form, Jesus Christ himself. The splendor and the majesty of the king. He's clothed in the majesty of the father because he is equal with God. He is God. It is the triune God who has blessed us with all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. For where I can read verses 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians, Paul's going to say, you're so blessed because God chose you. And then you go on to 7 through 12, because Christ redeemed you. And in the third person of the Trinity, also involved in, your, in the redeeming work of God's grace is the Holy Spirit who has sealed you for the day of promise. Salvation is a work of the triune God. Amen? God chose you. He planned it. Christ accomplished it. And the Spirit comes down to awaken you to it and seals you to the day you are with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of these. Folks, that is the church. Those people described there make up the church of Jesus Christ. 
People who are so secure. People who get their identity from God, not the world. So when we read these verses, we're reading where we get our identity from. We're reading who we are. And most importantly, whose, whose we are. A couple things. First of all, yes, it's, it's rooted in theology. Our salvation is rooted in theology. Our sanctification is rooted in, in sound theology, sound doctrine. Here, here's another one. A reason, another reason why sound doctrine is, is so important. It produces godliness. It produces godliness. A couple of times, Paul in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy talks about how, how sound doctrine is for the purpose of godliness, Christ-likeness. Here, here, here's another one, Romans eleven twenty three. From him, through him, and to him are all things. God gives us his word, sound doctrine, theology. It comes from him to change us, and it comes back to him in praise. So the purpose of sound doctrine, the purpose of sound theology, is to produce worshipers. People who adore him. Let's get this straight. Without, without sound doctrine, there is not salvation. Without sound doctrine, there is not being set apart unto God. There's no godliness without sound doctrine. And that's why it's our intent as a church to keep our heads in the book and to pour over it every week together, corporately. I got others, but because of time, I'm going to keep going. Let's back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. So I want to address why this theology is so important. And there's a couple of reasons there this morning. In other words, how about this? If my mind goes, oh boy, sometimes it really goes. Hopefully it's a good way. Doctrine is not meant to be merely informational, but transformational. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, sound doctrine. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, sound theology, and He uses it as, as a, here's the biblical illustration from Ezekiel and Romans, He's the potter, we are the clay. The truths of God's word are pressure points in our lives to mold us and to shape us. It's like if I had a lump of clay here before me, and it's just a lump, you know, it's just, we throw it down there, it's a lump. I'm a lump when God starts with me. Amen? You don't have to, you know, say it too loud. We are lumps when God saves us. And so he spins the table of life each and every day. And as we're going through life, and as we're as we're in His Word, those are the pressure points of the Spirit, whereby He slowly but yet surely conforms us a little bit more into the image of Jesus Christ. Let that let that imagery stick in your mind because it's an imagery given to us from Scripture. We are the clay; He is the potter. So, don't ever buy into the deception, the lie, the doctrine of theology doesn't matter. That is a ploy of Satan himself. All scripture is inspired by God and is what? Profitable. Amen? Amen. Every day. Okay. Y'all know that. Let's go on to verse 4. Let's talk about how blessed we are. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. When did this choosing take place? Before you were born. Not only that, it was before the foundation of this world. I know that's hard to wrap our minds around, but this is what God says. He's saying, hey, hey, my children, I want you to know when I chose you, it was before the foundation of the world. And here's my purpose. Next phrase in verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I chose you to be holy and blameless. 
Now, now, why before the foundation of the world? Why then? If you want, write down Romans chapter 9, verse 11. I want to give you the reason why here. We find the reason why God did it well beforehand. And the illustration is found in Romans chapter 9, verse 11. Isaac and Jacob. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, before they could do anything, what? God chose them. Here's what it says. So that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. In other words, God's saying, your salvation, you being in Jesus Christ, is ultimately because of me. Ultimately because of me. Because I chose you. I know that's hard for us to swallow sometimes. But notice Paul doesn't even go the direction of an argument. What about the free will of man? He doesn't do that. He just say, here's what God's done. Take it. Right? Here it is. He doesn't even go to, to the question. Now, if you want to go there, we can go to Romans 9. But that's not the purpose of our passage this morning or of me this morning. Okay? But we will sometime in the future end up there. But take it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When did this choosing take place? Before creation and eternity passed. Why? To show that it was not of works. <clears throat> that God was not influenced by anything good or bad we did. God is not influenced by what we do. That's what Romans 11 is referring to. They did not influence God's choice. Before he had a chance to do right or wrong. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, But by his doing, but by God's doing, you are in Christ. Now here's the attitude, here's the characteristic that being chosen by God, that God intends to produce with this doctrine of truth, and it's this, humility. It's humbling, beloved. I, we cannot only boast before God, but I can't boast to Ron. I can't boast to my mom. I can't boast to anybody. I can't go to an unbeliever or boast to them. Yesterday, when we were praying at the prayer walk yesterday, across the street, 10, 15, 20 feet, there were those who were holding up signs and they were opposing, okay, abortion. They were opposing life of the kids' prayer, okay? They were pro-choice. And I'm thinking, God, I'm really no better than them. The difference between me and that person is your grace. I'm not holier than thou. I'm a sinner like everybody else. Or at least I was when you interrupted me. But God, but God, Paul later on in chapter 2 is going to describe our lostness. And then he's going to all of a sudden say in verse 4 of chapter 2, but God. Divine interruption. Praise God that he sovereignly, divinely interrupted my life, me living my life my way, going the direction I was headed. Praise God that he totally interrupted it. Or I'd be lost as a goose. That's why I say this. But by the grace of God, I would not be a pastor. But by the grace of God, I would not care about the church. But by the grace of God, I wouldn't be here right now. This is a result of His grace. My love for God's Word is not because I'm smart, smart, or some spiritual giant. Please don't believe that whatsoever. It's because of God's grace. It's the work of His Spirit in my life and in your life. Amen?
That's, that's what it means we have no reason, no place for boasting. It, it, this, this doctrine of God choosing is, is intended by God's grace to produce a humility whereby we look at others with pity and mercy and compassion and not condemnation. You see, when you're talking to sinners about the gospel, or we're talking to the, the, the abortionists and those who promote that it's such a heinous sin, and there's many other heinous sins, but I don't see the murder of babies it really seems to be really high up there on the list, obviously. We're, how do I say this? Oh, I'm getting off my notes again. We need to humbly approach them. We need to say it like this. Here it is. I'm not judging you. I'm not the one condemning you. That is not my job. When I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, that is not my responsibility. That is not my job. Our responsibility as evangelists is to warn them of the one who condemns, of the one who does judge. It happens to be our Heavenly Father, by the way. We're warning them of the judgment to come. I'm not judging you. That's not my place. I'm not condemning you. My place is, I want to warn you that there is a judgment coming. The wrath of God is coming. And you need to repent and believe just like I did. So we're not judging them. We're warning them of the judgment to come. That should be a part of the gospel presentation. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's really watered down, isn't it? You think about it. Okay. Now I really know why I'm cutting this sermon short. Okay. So verse 4. How blessed are we? Blessed beyond measure. And it begins all the way in eternity past. When God thought of you. Listen to me. God thought of you before you were born. God thought of you before the fall. God thought of you before creation. Genesis 1. That just blows my mind. Blows my mind. For God so loved me, he loved me that much. Okay. Let's go on to verse 5. He predestined, the very end of verse 4, by the way, I think it's connects. In love, he predestined. In love is the motive. And what did he predestine us to adoption? He be, it, Love motivated him to predetermine to adopt me. Really simple, isn't it? I choose to adopt Jim. I choose to adopt Doug. And my motive for doing this is love. But I want to go to verse 6 real quick because there's a phrase that's repeated three times. To the praise of the glory of this grace. When we read about God's love, it's not just that. It is though, but not just that God loved me. But God loves his own glory. We've got to wrap our minds around that. That's why it's to the praise of the glory of his grace. Salvation comes from God, but the, it comes back to God in the form of praise and adoration and thanksgiving. That's why I mentioned John Piper's little quote. Okay? And, and I'll say it one more time. God does not save us to make much of us, but God saves us so that we what? Make much of him. And that's what Romans 11, 32, 33, is, or 36, excuse is all about. From him, through him, and to him, to him, and going back to him. That's why he does what he does. So it comes back to him in praise. So it comes back to him in worship. God didn't just save me so to make me comfortable. But to pursue Christ, Christ's likeness. So behind the act of God choosing you, the motive of that is God's love and it results in adoption, verse 5. And notice it's through Jesus Christ to himself. The accusative, that's a Greek thing. The accusative to him. So, so, so when God saves you, it's to him. It comes back to him. 
And that's why he rolls in to verse 6 to the praise of the glory of his grace. Does, your, does him saving you result in your mouth praising God, in your life praising God, the way you live praising God? That's the picture here. here here's what it is. We are so blessed that God changes our lives so much, we can now be a blessing to God. Before Christ, I could never be a blessing to God. But now that I'm in Christ, God has blessed me with all these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Why? So that I can now what? Be a blessing to God. Which is why God saves us. God saves us. Another way to say it is to make us worshipers of Him. This is, this is incredible. He simply chose you to love you with an eternal, unconditional, sacrificial love, which, by the way, Romans 5 says he demonstrated, for God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while I was just wallowing in my own sinfulness, apart from God doing my own thing, God was not on my radar. He sent his son to die for me. If God waited for me to make a move, he'd still be waiting because I would never move. That's why we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 2 that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, spiritually dead, inability to move towards God without God doing a work in my life first. Why? To Him be all the glory. No boasting. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. Verse 6, to the praise of His glory. Again, that verse repeated in verse 12 and verse 14. Look at verse 12. To the end that we who are first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. The very end of verse 14. To the praise of his glory. Three times this phrase is used in this passage. You think Paul's trying to communicate something to us? Remember the, remember the, 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 the purpose of, of repetition. To drive a point home. Drive a point home. Okay. But not, our, our, not only are we blessed because God chose us, we are blessed because we are in Christ. Verses 7 through 12. In him we have redemption. Through his blood. God not only chose, but he planned and designed the way this would happen, by sending his son. By sending his son. And to think, wait a minute, you had me in your mind before the foundation of the world. You had me, therefore, in your mind when you sent your son to earth. You had me in mind, therefore, when Jesus got on that cross. See, God's brain is big enough. I don't want to belittle him. He doesn't really have a brain. But God is so huge, so magnanimous, so infinite in wisdom and knowledge, he can handle to personally think about each one of us as his son's going to the cross to die for our sins. Now that is, is amazing. His love is amazing. And actually, my brain can only go to a certain point, and then I, I just get lost in it. I get lost in this glory, glorious, magnanimous thoughts about who God is. But to think that if Jesus was going upon Mount Golgotha, to think that he was his nails being pierced through his hands, the Father had done that because he had you in mind since before the foundation of the world. And he was carrying out his plan through his Son for you so that you would be awakened to his glory, to the praise and the glory of his grace. That's why at the very end of Romans chapter 11, after 11 chapters of Paul writing about the gospel, he says from him, that is salvation, sanctification, glorification. From him comes that, to him, and through him, and to him are all things. 
It comes from Him. It comes through Him, Jesus Christ. And it goes back to God in praise and adoration. I can't say that enough, folks. But here we have the person of Christ. In Him we have redemption. Go to verse 10 and 11. In Him we have an inheritance. Let's talk about that redemption for a moment. It's through His blood. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why? Because God demanded that sin be dealt with, not swept under the carpet. And in the humiliation of Christ on the cross, the death of Christ on the cross, is a public display of what God thinks about sin. He hates it so much, when our sin rested upon His Son, He still crushed it. He crushed Him. That means Jesus is your substitute. Jesus is your substitute, which means this. I should be up on that cross. I'm the one who deserves the wrath of God. God what did he do wrong? Nothing. He's the unblemished, spotless Lamb of God. That's why Peter comes along in 1 Peter and says, You have not been purchased, redeemed. You have not been purchased with perishable items like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. Precious to God. And that leads to forgiveness. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Without Christ satisfying the Father's just demands towards our sin that they go punish, without that there would be no forgiveness. So the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, leads to, God orchestrated all that because He desired to forgive us, but to do that He had to deal with our sin first, and He sent His Son to do that. Now listen to this next phrase. According to the riches of His grace. Oh my goodness. Remember the verse, I think it's in Romans chapter 5, it says, where, where sin abounds, increases, grace abounds all the more. Look at the end of verse 7 and 8. Oh, this is all according. His forgiveness, the redemption, is all according to the riches of His grace, which He what? Lavished or poured out upon us. Now he's poured out his grace. His grace is so enormous, so infinite. His love is so infinite, so eternal. It covers all the sins we've ever committed in all time. And not just that, but even he dealt with my sin nature. That which produces all my sins. My flesh. That includes not only your past sins, but the sins we just committed this morning. Or maybe this week. And it'll be the sins you commit this week. Coming up to January, done yet. Here's the beautiful thing. When God chose you, He sent His Son for you. You cannot exhaust God's grace. You cannot exhaust His compassion. You cannot exhaust His mercy. No, we don't want to take advantage of it. I'm not saying that at all. Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then to this grace? Shall we, shall we keep on sitting? That, I mean, that grace may abound? No, no, he goes, you don't understand. If that's what you're thinking, you don't understand the grace of God. God didn't pour out His grace on us so we could just keep on sinning, but God poured out His grace on us to change us, to make us anew, new creatures in Christ, a new creature who now lives to please God because I have that desire and capacity in my heart now that I did not have before Christ came into my life. You know what's so incredible about this passage? He's leading up to the church. He's saying this is what it means to be in Christ I want to talk to you about all these, these incredible blessings about being in Christ before I talk about you being in the body of Christ. So we come to church to be with the body. We better come standing in Christ. See that? 
All Paul is doing, he's painting the picture of the glorious body of Christ because the body of Christ gets its beauty from its head, Jesus Christ himself. And the existence of the church began in God's mind before the foundation of the world. And God's still populating it today. And God, and that's why God sanctifies us. Saints who are faithful to Jesus Christ. Saints, and it's in our following Christ that we make Christ more palatable to a lost and dying world. The world needs to see a difference. They don't need relevancy. They need godliness. They need to see godliness in Christ's church. That's what I'm saying. All right. Verse 9 and 10, we go on. Verse 9. In Christ we have understanding of eternal things, which he, that's what he says, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, <clears throat> excuse me, 8 and 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will is unfolded in Jesus Christ, right? When you come to Christ, if he begins to unleash and unlock the mysteries of salvation, the truths of scripture, okay? He is the key. He is the cornerstone which, which gives understanding to the Word of God. Right? That's why it's not just informational, it's transformational and it's relational. Because God wants that personal relationship with you. The Pharisees missed out on that. And Jesus called them on it in John chapter 5. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they point to me, they speak of me. You've got to come to me. You're in the Scriptures but you never come to me. How many people are in the Word of God but never end up coming? To the foot of Christ's cross. That's sad, isn't it? How many churches are like that? Right? How many churches are like that today? The kind intention of his will. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 16 that says we've been given the mind of Christ. Here's another blessing. You have been given the mind of Christ. And let me tell you what it is. Right here. If you want spiritual discernment, you want to understand what's going on in this world? You want a Christian worldview? You get it from keeping in the book. Right? It's a lie. It speaks to every generation. It speaks to the generations to come. Let's go on. Verse 10. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ. I love verse 10. Administration means stewardship. And I really believe he says it's with a view of looking forward to the future. And I think the future he has in mind here, watch it now, is the millennial kingdom. When all things are summed up in Christ. Once Christ, at the end of the tribulation comes, he's going to set everything straight. And he's going to sit, he's going to sit on his throne for a thousand years reign. And he's going to sum everything up. I think Paul is looking to that time. And we, excuse me, with a view to the stewardship suitable to the fullness of times. That is, he explains himself, what he means by the fullness of times, the summing up of all things in Christ. Everything in the world, the history and the world's problems will only be resolved when Christ comes to rule the reign on this earth. Below. Do you hear me? The church is not going to solve all the problems. We're called to make disciples. We're called to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to make followers of Jesus Christ. The world's problems will not be solved till the king of the creation comes and sits on his throne. And that's the millennial kingdom. Amen? Paul, what are you doing? Paul, here's what Paul's doing. He's saying, I'm going to give you this big, huge overview. I'm going to start to where God chose you, verse 4, and I'm going to talk all, so I got your attention, all the way to the millennial kingdom. 
He's giving you this panoramic, this, this all-inclusive view of salvation. Right? And if we are in Christ, and Christ comes to rule during the millennium, who's going to be with him? We're in him. I think we're going to be there to help him, to be his servants, to carry out his rule and his reign, his stewardship. You have a future. We're not just going to be in heaven twiddling our thumbs, beloved. There's going to be a work to do, a glorious work. And guess what? When I work for the Lord on earth, i got opposition all over the place, primarily my own flesh. The world the devil, right? But in heaven, there'll be no opposition. Once you're in your glorified bodies, the work that God calls us to will never be exhausted. We'll never have any opposition. Every moment will be joy. Every moment will be delight. Your motives will be into question. Your motive will be pure. Oh my goodness. I don't know, but man, my flesh sometimes weighs me down so much. This hope is, is what I grab onto. That day when God, I will have no weights to hold me down. The weight of my flesh, the weight of my own sin will never hold me down again. Are you longing for that day? I hope so. I hope the older we get, the more we long for it. Well, blessed hope. And then it ends with the inheritance in verse 11. Well, we're going to end with that. We have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, his purpose, who works all things over the counsel of his will. In Christ we have an inheritance. In Christ we have redemption in verse 7 and 8. In Christ we have understanding in verse 9. In Christ we have an inheritance. This is a future aspect also of our salvation. God's not done with showing you how awesome his salvation is. He's not done. You don't know it all. There's so much more to be had. There's so much more he's going to give you, but in his timing. The Father's just going to say, I'm going to let it out little by little. And at some point, he's going to let it out a bunch. We inherit every promise God has made. You know, there's promises God has not fulfilled yet, but he's going to fulfill them. And that's our inheritance. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And the place I'm going to be many mansions. I'm specifically going to prepare places just for you. My church, my people. And this too is according to the predetermined plan of God. So we know from A to Z, from God's choosing, okay, before the foundation of the world, to the redemption of coming to faith in Christ, to the end, that God's in control of the whole process. Because he works all these things out that he's talked about in verses 4 through 10, according to his purpose, and he works all things after the counsel of his will. You are eternally secure. When he has begun, he's going to finish below. Nothing, nobody, not is going to get in the way. Kind of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, no one. Not death, not evil, not sin, not Satan, nothing separates us, separates us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. And all Paul's done here is he explained this enormous blessing of his salvation, of God's salvation from beginning to end, basically. And he says, beloved, this is how blessed you are. This is what it means to be in Christ. So when you get together as Christ's body, think about what it means to be in Christ himself. And next week, we're going to talk about being sealed by the Spirit, eternal security, and assurance of salvation. We are blessed beyond measure. May we meditate on these blessings. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together.
May these truths actually be a true blessing to our hearts, knowing that you are in control of all things from beginning to end. Father, they're there to, that by your Spirit works these truths in our hearts and mold us and shape us into deeper, more richer worship of you. Father, have your way with your children. Draw us closer to you in sanctification in our walk with you as a result of having spent time in your word. In Jesus' name. Thank you.